Hello ladies and gentlemen, it's my absolute pleasure to be back introducing yet another episode of the Armago podcast, and this week it's with Jane Figueredo. Jane grew up in Zimbabwe, a keen swimmer and a lover for the outdoors. She was introduced to diving at a young age and became engrossed in her local diving culture at the time. Not long later, she found herself at the University of Houston and before she knew it, found herself diving in the 1984 Olympic Games. Not for Zimbabwe though, with her father from Portugal, she instead dove for the Portuguese diving team. Now a few years later, Jane began her career as a diving coach, and as you'll hear from this episode, following an incredible journey, being involved with teams from Russia to the US and to here in the UK. She's had phenomenal success, taking two Russian athletes to become Olympic champions in the synchronised diving in the 2000 Sydney Olympics, as well as more recently guiding Tom Daly and Matty Lee to gold in the Tokyo 2020 Games. She's won all sorts of medals along the way and gathered huge respect from her peers. So what does it take to lead top athletes to become world champions? What does it take to perform at the very best across a range of different environments and cultures? How can you become the best version of yourself and get their best out of those around you? Stay tuned and you'll soon find out. Now, as you know, if you're a regular listener to the Armago podcast, at the end of each episode, we host a two truths and one lie. Now, last week, we heard from Rebecca Adlington, the four-time swimming Olympic medalist and record-breaking athlete. Her lie was that she's not, she's not done cliff diving. Do give Becca's podcast a listen and indeed her Instagram live uh, that we did with her as well. Now, anyway, without further ado, let's welcome Jane Figueredo. Hello, Jane, and welcome on to the Armago podcast. Um, I want to start actually by talking about your view on sacrifice. Um, I picked up on one of the interviews that you're doing where you were talking about how athletes, um, you know, it used to be the case that they needed to sacrifice everything, whereas nowadays it's more about finding that uh, that balance. But then you go on to say um, that if you want to go and get that gold medal, um, you've got to sacrifice everything, which does, as you say, go against what a lot of people think about now. Yeah. Um, are you able to expand on that a bit more? Yeah, I think, um, and and actually I remember that interview that I, that I hosted and, I spoke about that probably 15, 20 years ago when we won our first gold medal with the Russian women's team. I remember it being quite different. There were uh, a lot of sacrifices. They obviously were not as famous as Tom Daly. So they were actually um, very, very strict about uh, just, there was no interviewing, there was no red carpet, there was no television appearances. There was nothing like that. So I grew up sort of in that environment where the, there was a different kind of sacrifice. Um, a lot of them didn't date. A lot of them were completely focused on achieving the gold medal. Whereas, you know, that was 20 years ago. Today, uh, we've sort of done a lot of research and, and Tom's actually living proof of this um, that having a little bit more of a home life balance um, makes him happier, makes him feel like it's not just about the sport, that there's actually life after sport. So 
it's that's the difference between 20 years ago and, and today. Um, there's still obviously lots of people who who find the only way is one way, and that's just sacrificing everything. But obviously Tom's proven and um, Matty and, and all the kids that have done really well, Jack Law, have shown that actually a, a work-life balance for them get, got them to where they are today. And how do you think athletes now can be going about trying to find that balance? Because it's very difficult. You know, I, you know, I for one, doing everything that we do here at university and everything, find it very, very difficult. And I've no doubt you still, you know, must have these challenges as well, trying to do all the coaching and everything. Um, so, yeah, how, how does one go about trying to do that? Yeah, so I, I think coming from the U.S. system, as I have, um, obviously, we balance the university college system and competing a lot better than they do here. Um, here, the universities are not so um, uh, flexible. So in other words, they're not really willing to change things for the athletes. It's like, this is what we've got. You either fit in or, you know, they'll do something else. Um, so the only person I have in my group, Grace Reed, has been able to sort of try to study at University of Edinburgh and tried to dive at a very high level. And that has caused her lots of challenges. Um, she goes to bed really late, then she wakes up in the morning, she comes to practice and she's not feeling great. So yeah, it, it, I think in this country, and you know, I could be wrong in other sports, maybe they are able to do it, but certainly we haven't found the balance in diving. I think it's a it's a very difficult balance to, to try and achieve. Yeah. Um, but, you know, speaking of different cultures, you've experienced a huge number of different cultures from Zimbabwe to the Russian team, the US and, and GB. Um, what has been some of the kind of key things in those different cultures um, that have allowed them to, to be able to strive um, to achieve more? Yeah, so obviously I've been very fortunate to have been in all of those systems and taken things from all, all of those systems to put me where I am today. Um, I think growing up in Zimbabwe, uh, we only trained once a day. It was much more laid back, you know, it was, although we had awesome coaches, uh, we didn't get to compete very much. So that's why the reason for the majority of the athletes from sort of the African countries and actually all the countries in the world, look to the US because they offer the ability to get an education and compete at a very high level. Whereas in Zimbabwe, you couldn't do that. It's one or the other. In the Russian system, it's quite different. Uh, the girls that I coached were in the US system training in the US. Whereas if you were in Russia, um, that, that education is, is pretty much the priority there or a lot of them go to universities where they actually don't have to attend classes. Yeah. They, they pretty much help them get a degree and they do very little for it probably. Yeah. I wouldn't say that that's sort of a blanket statement. I, I would say that um, that's not the same for everybody. And then of course you come to the GB system and uh, we have the majority of athletes um, if they're not in the high school, are training full-time. I'm not sure that's 
that's a hundred percent of the way we need to go because what what's going to happen after diving what are they going to do after diving their uk sport funding money is minimal it's Mm. 20 something thousand if you're an olympic gold medalist Mm. and that's not really going to get you very far in london so all of them have their pros and cons and i wouldn't say one is better than the other to be to be fair and what about, so just to kind of move, as people move away from university and you've actually got them within that diving environment, um, what are some of the differences in the way that the coaches approach things, the way that the, you know, the whole culture of the, the people training and everything, uh, what are some of the ways in which they differ there? Um, well, I think in a college environment, and university environment, everybody seems to be going through the same thing, the challenges of, getting teachers to allow you to take tests at different times, different days than the normal class. So those are always challenges. So communication is key there. Outside of college, you know, I I really like to promote uh, for my athletes to not just be jocks, not just to be athletes. So finding other things that can stimulate them mentally. um, So we're not sort of stuck in this routine or rut of this is all I do is is dive Mm -hmm. Um, and like I said the reason why that's important is because at some point they got to go on to the real world Mm -hmm. and if we pamper them and and just don't allow them to sort of gain more knowledge outside of the pool they're going to really struggle when it's time to move on so those are the two main differences. Um, like I said to you, I, I'm not sure that we have a, a really viable solution because the university system here is quite tough and I'm not sure they're quite flexible. Mm. But then there's also, so there's also weighing that up with their, their you know, what they want to do after diving and everything, but also trying to get a gold medal, right? You know, yeah. you, can't, you can't try and go for both at once. Um, how do how do some of the athletes deal with that? Do you do you notice some that that you know they don't really think as much longer term and that are more just thinking about now and trying to get that yes. goal? Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. Some some of them, yes. And you've got to understand diving. Other than Tom Daly, there's not there's not very many divers in the world that actually make a living from diving, yeah. even if you win a gold medal, mm-hmm. because. Like everything, the first six months, everybody wants you. And then after about six months, um, that window, you know, it's sort of shut and people have already forgotten about you and they're already on to, well, what are you going to do next? I think even more so the kids that are able to win a gold medal have to really think about life after diving and I have a goal for what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I try to help with that. Um, and we have people in our sport called lifestyle uh, coaches who help those kids sort of look and see what's the next what's the next thing for them. And for you personally, you've obviously uh, did the diving yourself and competing in the Olympics, following on from from your parents. But you know, what have been some of the um, what have been some of the ways in which you've been able to do other things aside from just diving? Whether it's when you actually dive then or as a coach. <laughs> well. As a coach, I don't get to do too much outside of coaching diving because we train six days a week, every day, twice a day. Um, So there's very little outside of what I do 
to have great work-life balance. I have to work really, really hard at that. So that's that's difficult, but I love other sports. So I, you know, I play tennis. I We play a lot of games uh, during our workouts, like pickleball. Uh, we play table tennis. So we try to mix up just the fun and the activities in, in training. My divers, um, when they... When they become a funded athlete, they actually sign a contract that does not allow them to do very much. So yeah. outside of diving, they're not allowed to ski. They're not allowed to go, uh, you know, skydiving. They're not allowed. They're not allowed to do a lot of things. Yeah. So they're literally uh, there's not a lot they're allowed to do because they're under a contract to receive uh, UK sport funded money. And do you think it's worth it? Because we obviously see that the the, pin, the absolute pinnacle, the best of the best, um, smiling on the red carpet. But do you think it's worth it for a lot of the divers that go into it? Um, yeah, because you know you you're going to work the rest of your life. So why not spend twenty something years, in some cases like Tom, trying to achieve the absolute pinnacle? Because you know. For him, mm-hmm. and then he has his whole rest of his life to to go work in a a, a job that you know probably for a, a diver and Olympic champion is going to be very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's very fortunate; he can go into entertainment. He can, I mean, there's lots of opportunities for him. He's he's very charismatic. He can speak really well, and not all divers have that same ambition. So. I think a lot of them were lucky. Hopefully, a lot of them become coaches, um, and and hopefully, a lot of them find jobs outside of his sport. Now, one of the things that you also mentioned in that interview that I mentioned earlier was uh, resilience um, and just yeah. how important that is. Why do you think resilience is is so important? And I completely agree with you because running a business, I know just how important resilience is. Yeah, um, resilience is is really about uh, challenging yourself to be able to accept what is and then also sort of be ready for what's to come. Um, So, for example, um, we just had a, we suffered a terrible tragedy at Dive London where my assistant coach passed away. He was very young. He was only 31. Um, And resiliency is is really a big word in this particular instance because the, all of those kids, and including myself, we have to be able to move forward. We have to be able to try to pick up the pieces and carry on diving. And I think if you're not resilient and um, you don't accept those challenges that are ahead of you, um, probably a lot of them would quit and a lot of them would just move, move on to other things in their lives. Whereas a lot of them Olympians, so we're expecting them to deal with what's in front of us and then build that resiliency in order to carry on and to get ready for the next thing. So resiliency for me is is really key uh, for all of us and, and sort of what we're going through right now is, is absolutely, um, that's the right word, being ready for the next thing. 
Now, our generation have, you know, sometimes get labelled the snowflake generation. Um, and that's often down to us not having much resilience, um, supposedly. Do, yeah. do, you, do you agree with that, particularly looking at the young divers that are coming in now? I, mean, I, think, I think you can create certain challenges in a diver's career that you can build that resiliency. It's yeah. not, it's, it's not a, something that you say, oh, you need to be more resilient because then all of them are going to look at you and go, actually, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what yeah. do you mean? So each competition, each um, tough challenge that we face, uh, whether that's a passing of a friend, a passing of a family member, um, not making the Olympic team, um, not making a Team GB trip, these are all instances where you're going to build just courage and resiliency. Those, yeah, I don't believe it's resiliency, something that you just all of a sudden have. Mm. I, so I think, yes, I, I, I'm not sure I would agree with that statement, but I would agree with um, that it's up to a coach um, and up to the athlete to put certain things in your training um, that help you develop that resiliency, that that sort of toughness to to get on and move on to the next thing. So I I, I love that you you know the generation are called snowflakes, but how how do you build resiliency if you don't go through certain life experiences? And so you're talking there about coaches being able to put things into to training sessions. Do you think there's anything that you know? people that listen to this might like right now might be able to kind of just implement themselves almost like a coach to themselves on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean, uh, an example would be um, for my divers, we, we tried to do like um, pre-competition competitions. So what we do is we, we create an atmosphere um, where they're going to have to compete mm-hmm. Um and, and that builds resiliency because they get used to competing and, and knowing what's, what the expectation is at a proper competition. Um, so there's that. Uh, learning a new dive, which has a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear in diving. So if you're learning a very, uh, you probably wouldn't understand the terminology, but in diving, a, a, a very dangerous dive um, you're going to make kids learn those dives. You're hopefully going to teach them safely, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of fear. So um, we would teach kids dives that um, could could very well be quite challenging on a life or death situation. So that builds courage and resiliency. Um, uh, I, I don't know if your students... Um, let's say they were going to go run track and field or run cross country. It might be an idea to go run a 5K or a 10K or a 20K um, to help them build sort of that that courage and that, you know, this is what it's going to be like if I join the team. I've got to go get in shape. I've got to uh, get some mileage under my belt um, and I've got to get tough because when you join the university squad, it's competition, they're racing. Mm-hmm. 
Now, kind of linked to resilience uh, is uh, adversity. Um, and we had the coach for Max Whitlock on, and he actually said that one of the key things that he's found for some of the best people that have come through is that they've gone through some sort of adversity often in their childhood. Is that something that you can agree with um, from a diver's point of view? Um, there are obviously a lot of us go through adversity, just like I just mentioned, we're going through it right now. Um, but it doesn't guarantee that we're going to be any better. Yeah. Right? Um, it all depends how you take that and then you shape your life moving forward. Every athlete has a story. Uh, Tom, for example, lost his dad. He had a, a brain tumor and he passed away. Um, and that is gives him a lot of motivation to make his dad proud. And um, I too have lost um, several people in my life. So I, I, I do what I do as well as I do it, maybe in part because of them. Um, mm. But I wouldn't say that every athlete has to have some sort of adversity mm -hmm. to, to be an Olympic champion. Um, so it all depends um, how you channel it. That's, that's what I would say about that. So adversity is one thing, but it's how you're going to channel it to be successful is another thing. I'm sure you get asked this question quite a lot, but um, are there certain things that you've noticed in some of those divers that have gone on to do incredible things? For example, Tom, that you've noticed, um, you know, much earlier. Um, are you talking about traits, certain characteristics? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, well, um, Matty and Tom, for example, because, you know, they're Olympic champions, Matty... Uh, came on a very different journey. So he goes to his first Olympics and he wins an Olympic gold medal. Um, that's sort of, that's rare. Um, but he's also had a lot of struggles. And, um, you know, we've had to work through those on a personal level. So anger, frustration, he wants to be better than he is. Uh, whereas Tom's personality is been quite different he's he's persevered he's never given up he never quits um so quite different personalities um but all heading towards the same goal which is winning a gold medal together not even just by yourself um so some of the traits are you know perseverance um I wouldn't say you have to have adversity in there to accomplish that, but everybody uses adversity in a different way. Pride. They're very proud of who they are and what they want to accomplish and who they want to accomplish it for. Mm -hmm. um, so the family well. Um, and then work ethic. And, of course, the one thing everybody forgets is having a good time and having fun. Mm -hmm. um, and really enjoying it. That's, you know, whatever university sport anybody on the podcast decides they're going to do, you got to have fun because without that, it's it's going to be too hard. Mm. And speaking of that, you know, linked to that is motivation. Um, have you in your career had to try and sometimes find ways um, to support the, the athletes in motivating them? 
um, because you know they're going through some sort of struggle, whatever. Um, yeah, we. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, we have to motivate them every day, every day. But one thing to remember that it's. I've always said, although I'm naturally motivating and I I come with um, a lot of a skill set where I'm always motivating. I'm very positive. It's not my job to to be in charge of motivation. Mm-hmm. That has to come. Motivation has to come from within, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, people are standing around going, well, why isn't Jane motivating me? <laughs> we, we, you can't live like that in a, yeah. in a sporting world. Um, so it's not my job to motivate them. It's my job to encourage and be positive. But motivation has to come from within. Mm-hmm. And whatever that may be. So I, I wouldn't say that I spend a lot of time motivating. I think I just try to be positive and I try to just encourage. And do you try and understand the athletes all in their own kind of uh, different ways? Because, you know, they're all, diff- all going to be completely different people. Um, yeah, you know, do you, sure. Try and just, do you try and like, learn a lot about them and who, what, sort of, what motivates them, what drives them? Yeah, and that takes, sometimes that can take years and years of work. Yeah. Um, because I, I have to be vulnerable. I have to be transparent. I have to be open and honest and let them see that I'm willing to share who I am, what I am, um, my feelings. And, um, and it helps if they reciprocate and do the same thing, then, then you sort of come together on the same level. You know, I'm, I'm 58. So I, I've been working at that all my life. Whereas, Somebody like Matty, he's very young. He's only 23. Um, it, he's still so inexperienced at doing that. But we have a great relationship, um, me and the boys. So I think that's, I think a lot of that is is why we've done so well. Let's just talk a little bit about marginal gains. I'm sure you you uh, must be quite familiar with this. And obviously yeah. cycling and all that. We're talking about the 1% um, and everything. Is that something that you uh, try and implement with your divers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you got any kind of specific examples of things that people might not expect? Um, no, not really. Uh, the one percenter. Okay, what, what, what would that be? Um, I, I'm, I just see things very differently because I'm very experienced. Yeah. So what a young coach might not see, I see right away. I can pick it up like that. So, for example, if we're talking technique, usually I, I don't even have to have that diver as my athlete and I can watch something and I can pick it up immediately. Um, so, so that's what age gives me. It gives me experience. Mm-hmm. Um, 1% could be... Um, making the guys do yoga. If it if it gives them one percent more flexibility, yeah, we're gonna do it. Yeah. Um, what are the some of the other things we did? Um, oh, there's so many, but um, they're mostly technical things. Um, what? One other thing just could be outside the pool. Um, 
staying in touch with them when we're not just diving, going to have a cup of coffee. Now, yeah. for most people, they'll be like, well, how does that help? But if it gives me 1% of getting closer to the athlete so that they can trust me more um, and get what I, what I, who I am and try to understand me better, then I'll go have lunch with them or coffee with them or invite them over for dinner just because I, that 1% is huge. Mm. Now, as a coach, what's been the hardest lesson uh, to learn over your uh, full kind of career? That's an easy one. When you make mistakes um, or I can't convince the athlete um, to buy into the way I think we can be successful. So, so in other words, if I'm not successful, like in Rio, uh, Tom and I were not as successful as we had hoped to be. Mm -hmm. And on reflection, we realized that um, we should have done it differently. The site, we should have approached it differently. We should have done this instead of that. And what happened in Tokyo was those mistakes were glaring right in front of us. So we worked for five years that we said we were never going to make that same mistake. And we didn't. And we were successful. Yeah, there's, lot, there's lots of that. Losing my cool when I shouldn't. Um, that, those are things, those are mistakes you make. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah I mean, just little things like that. Didn't, didn't you also ban Tom and Matty from talking about winning that gold medal? That is correct. Yeah, I did. And a lot of that came from what I learned in Rio with Tom. Because in when we were leading up to Rio, I had only been coaching Tom two years. Yeah. And we were so excited about this journey we were on. And all we were thinking about was a gold medal. So we weren't process oriented. We were completely result oriented. Yeah. And that's a big mistake that you can make. So why was that a mistake? Because every time Tom did an interview or I did a TV interview or the press came, we talked about how we were just going to win the gold medal and everything was going to be fantastic. And what we didn't realize is that we, we didn't focus enough on the process. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the things we decided a long time ago. I don't want to hear anybody talking about winning a gold medal. Like, it didn't mean they couldn't think it. It didn't mean that we didn't understand it. Mm. We just were not going to say it out loud. And the reason for that is when you start telling everybody what you're going to do, it puts too much pressure too much expectation. And then when you don't do it, it's like, oh, my God, well, you said you were going to do that. And mm. look at you guys. You stunk it up. Um, so, so that was something that when I coached the Russian girls, we never talked about that. We never, nobody ever talked about winning a gold medal. We just knew what we had to do, and we just went and did it. Mm. Um, and that was a big lesson that I learned. And I should have known that. I should have known that because 
I had spent my whole life not talking about it. Mm. And then, of course, Tom comes along and we're just so excited. And, and yeah, we went, we got out of our zone and we, we, yeah. I wouldn't say I banned them, but I was like, I don't want to hear you talking about it. I don't want to hear you talking about it in an interview. I don't want you to tell a single person because I just felt like it was going to give us a better chance. <laughs> and it did. That's absolutely fascinating. I almost feel like that same thing can be applied in so many different areas. Like, you know, I'm thinking about the business that we've got. If, if we keep saying we're going to go and do this and this and this, we're much yeah. better to actually say we're going to do this, these specific processes every single week and we're going to improve on that. That's right. That's and, right. When, no. you're, when you're so focused on the result, mm. you actually forgot about the journey. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, already, you're already at the end and you haven't even got stage one, two, three, four, five, six, however many. Mm. So I would say for any student, you got in the business, like stay present, be in the moment, don't get ahead of yourself. It doesn't mean that you can't dream and, and uh, you know, make goals. Mm. But that's quite different than just going around spouting your mouth off. So you can do all of those things and you can keep it quiet and private and you can think it, you can breathe it, you can sleep it. But the minute you start like saying it, all of a sudden it has a very different effect. Mm. And look, some athletes win gold medals. Usain Bolt is a great example. I mean, that guy, yeah. He told you he was going to kick your butt, yeah. and, and he did. Yeah. Um, but he's – not everybody can do that. Mm. And you better deliver. If you're going to do that, you better deliver. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe in his way, he needed to do that to – because 100 metres is all about height, right? Mm. I mean, it is all about who can talk the trashiest out of anybody. Yeah, um, that's that event. Diving, diving's not that kind of event. Um, so yeah, th that was a humongous lesson I learned. But again, what I'd say to you is, it doesn't mean that you can't think it and believe it internally. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that you and Angus can't talk about it. What I'm talking about is going out on television or, <laughs> you know, just putting it out there in the world where it's like. Oh dear. Mm, mm. Um, but so it's also yeah. it's also the way that you reward it as well. You know, if you if you constantly reward reward yourselves on outcomes, then when you don't get those outcomes, it's going to be very difficult. Whereas if you reward yourself on the best process possible, then you will. You yeah, know, that, yeah, that's a, that's a, a very good statement right there. That that's absolutely correct. Very interesting. Right, we've got a few wrap-up questions for you. Okay. Um, what does success mean to you? Family. In um, what way? I wouldn't be successful without them. So I'm successful because of them. So they almost have to be at the core of, of everything for you to, to be successful. Yeah, or I, I just need to – I've chosen coaching and, and being away from my family over being with them. So, so I'm at that, I'm at a different stage in my life. So when I, when I think about Tom and Matty and Tokyo, I think about 
yeah, all the people behind me. So my family, my team, yeah, all the people that help. That's that's what success means to me. And the next question is, what's next for you? Because obviously you've achieved a huge amount already. One like you go next. <laughs> well, um, I am on a sabbatical. Um, well, I was, and unfortunately, I had to come back um, to London just to because David, who I was mentoring, to pretty much take over this program. He's obviously gone now. And um, so I needed to come back and just make sure that everything's still intact and and just allow the divers some reassurance that I'm here and that everything's okay. Um, and we have a couple of coaches who can take it the rest of the way, at least till September when I return. Because my goal literally is to just take a break for the year. Um, Tom's taking a break. I need a break. Spend time with my family. Uh, try not to miss out on too many things. Uh, I'm tired of missing out on things. Birthdays, yeah. funerals, weddings, graduations, parties. I, yeah. I just don't want to miss out anymore. Mm. So um, I'm going to go back to the States and carry on with my sabbatical. Um, and then I'd like, I, I have my job still in London. So my goal is to come back and take the guys to the next medal. <laughs> it doesn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> that's Yeah, that's the danger though. You see, that's actually a danger um, that you you don't know when to stop because mm. if you fail, you have to keep going because you failed. Yeah. When you succeed, oh my God, this feels so great. So I got to keep going. Yeah. So yeah. it's like a catch 22. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. <laughs> yeah. That's so tricky, but I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you're able to take a nice year out and, and take some time to your family and everything. Um, something that we've introduced recently, just probably do the two truths to lie, um, is that we've been uh, asking you questions for the last 40 minutes or so. Um, it's time for you, if you'd like to ask us one question, um, which we'll do our best to answer. Okay. Yeah. What, what, what do you see as the ultimate goal for your business? What's the ultimate goal? I think, I think for, for me, it's about the impact that we can have, you, you know, every the whole process of the app is about creating making sport happen really um and if we can if we can get lots more people you know one of the big reasons for starting is that about 90 percent of students at uk universities want to do more sport than they currently do wow. and so awesome. if, if for us if we can bring that number down at universities alone you know that is ultimately going to be really big for us and it, you know obviously we've got plans to take that beyond university um, but, you know, it's such a big problem itself. If we can get more people playing sport at university and then coming out of university and continuing that sport, because there's obviously so many benefits to people um, just being involved in sport, um, you know, even if it's just once or twice a week. Um, so if we can get more people playing sport, then I think that's that's the ultimate. ultimate you realise that you're going to have to find a, a, an avenue to do that. So is there any plans? Because you want to increase sport, right, mm -hmm. uh, across universities yeah so in order to do that you have to go, you have to get the universities to provide more opportunities for sport mm. 
So the app is great, but you actually need to go to, I don't know what you call them here, but provosts or all the people that run the top universities, whoever they are, mm. and, and get them putting out those opportunities for all your students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think, yeah, we, we you know, even here in Bristol, we're doing partnership stuff with the Students' Union and, and the, uh, the actual sport and everything. So, yeah, the more we awesome. can... More we can do with that. I, I absolutely uh, yeah. agree. Um, but yeah, thanks very much, Jane. And finally, we've got our two truths and a lie. And I'm sorry to throw this on you because I know that you haven't been able to properly prepare for it. Yeah. Um, but if you have got three statements there, then you know, take a minute if you need to. Uh, and we'll have a guess which one we think is a lie. My brother raced against Ayrton Senna. I've got seven family members. Tom does not plan to dive in the next Olympics. So this time, in fact, we've got one truth and two lies from Jane. If you think you know which one is the truth, then pop us a message on Instagram with which one you think it is. I really hope you took something away from that episode. And as always, we'll be back with another exciting episode next week. Bye for now.